1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 1 to 11. The focus of this message this morning will be on verses 4 to 11. Uh, but I will read verses 1 to 11. Please give your full attention. This is the word of our God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirits. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another various gifts and kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. May He add His blessing uh, to it now. As long as the church has been... Uh, There have been issues in the church. I think if you have not experienced this yet, then um, you've not experienced a lot of the church. It's just a fact of the matter, right? This is not, of course, because uh, because God or his plan are faulty, but because on this side of glory, we remain in warfare against the flesh, warfare against the lingering sin in our lives. Uh, Yes, we are lifelong to be uh, putting sin to death through the gospel led by the Spirit. We have all have and will struggle with issues throughout our lives. And of course, the church of Corinth uh, was struggling with many issues, many problems at that time. Uh, the place we are now in the chapter, in, in this, uh, rather in this uh, letter, they're going, is dealing with spiritual gifts and then is going to the speaking of tongues. Um, In verses 1 to 3 of chapter 12 that we looked at last week, uh, Paul had told them that for them to understand spiritual things, remember not gifts, spiritual things, first and foremost, the Christian, through the power of the Holy Spirit, must confess that Jesus is Lord. This is not a mere empty profession. They must not merely understand and believe it to be true. They must trust that it is true. And they must trust this Jesus Lord of all, Son of God, that He is so, and that He died, and by that death, He saved His people from the guilt and power of sin. And they must trust in His righteousness, that it is imputed to us through the means of faith. This is the entry point for Paul. Knowing and confessing that Jesus is Lord, the Lordship of Christ, is the beginning point regarding understanding of spiritual things, the broader category. And this is necessary so that we understand spiritual gifts, which we begin to enter into this morning. 
Of course, these chapters, these three chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, give us a lengthy discussion about the gift of speaking in tongues. In chapter 12, Paul gives, again, the foundation of thinking about spiritual gifts. It's spiritual things which require the confession of the Lordship of Christ. In chapter 13, Paul emphasizes the greatest of gifts. It is not the speaking in tongues, but the gift of love towards our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and beyond. Uh, Paul will also discuss the diversity of gifts. Not all have the same gift from the Spirit, but all serve the one body of Christ. In our text this morning, we will see that because God is one, we are to be united in service and love for the building up of the body and for the edification of its members. And we see as we go through this passage that Paul unfolds this very thing by looking at first the unity of the body and the giver of the gifts, and then secondly the diverse service for the one Lord, the diverse service for the one Lord, and then thirdly God's purpose and use of the gifts which we'll uh, just be able to touch into this morning. So first, let's look at uh, the unity of the body and the giver of gifts. Right In verse 4, Paul begins his discussion of his macro picture, his big picture. And here the scripture teaches us regarding the unity of the body of Christ and how the Spirit distributes in variety. He distributes his gifts in diversity. Again, verse 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Right? The word varieties there comes from the word for differences or for divisions. And so the gifts of the Spirit are divided up amongst the members of the church. The word grace in the New Testament is the word charis. charis. And the gifts of the church are known as the charismata. The charismata, right, where we get the word charismatic or charisma from. The gifting to the church. The graces given to the church. Those were were extraordinary endowments conferred by the Spirit to the people of the church. And they were given for what reason? Again, Paul emphasizes again and again they were given for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. These gifts were related to the people's native abilities to be sure that they had already had, the gifts they had already had. And this section highlights that the charismata are the divine, supernatural granting a precise, uh, given precisely for the church, right? Again, for the building up and the edification and the growth of those in that body. Well, what was the problem? As we've seen again and again, many in the Corinthian church were still influenced by their former pagan lives. They were influenced by the pagan culture all around them in the city. And they were pointing to themselves, were pointing to others, boasting. They were self-focused, lauding selfishly that they had particular gifts of God, mirroring, echoing the culture around them, drawing attention to themselves or others, which was causing divisions. And they were wrongly using them to, divide, uh, to draw attention to themselves. And this would cause what? This issue caused, uh, it caused pride, right? Pridefulness. And it caused divisions. And it caused po- party loyalties and factions in the church. Remember, this is how Paul starts his letter, after all. 
I have this against you. Right? There was divisions in the church. And Paul says what regarding this? He says that the giver of the gifts is the same Spirit who called the Corinthians to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same Holy Spirit who included them in the one body of the church. And so the right use of the gifts is to be for the greater unity of the church, not for drawing out and calling attention to one person or the other, or in superiority, looking down upon others. They're not for dividing the church. That one Spirit gave many gifts, but for one cause, and that is the church. And we too, brothers and sisters, we too, we should take care, be sensitive to, and following God's plan and purpose for those things with which He has gifted us, for the body of Christ. You should take note as to how the Lord has gifted you. What gifts has He given you, and how can you use those gifts for His glory and His people? If you never thought in those terms, I encourage you to be in prayer before God, seeking His direction in this very thing. What a wonderful and generous Father we have. It's amazing. I remember a few uh, or a number of years ago um, when I was interning at a particular church, uh, there were a few senior citizens in that church, and they would tell me, well, we can't do much, but we can pray mightily for Christ's church. We pray mightily. And they did. They were a blessing to many people. We, uh, may we, dear Christian, have the faith and courage to seek out and serve the body of Christ in however we have been enabled to do so. Because it's the Spirit who empowers us to do that very thing. Right? And so we see the unity of the body and the gift uh, and God the gift giver. And then we see next, uh, the second point, the, divide, the diverse service for the one Lord. We see this in verses 5 and 6. Diverse service for the one Lord. So Paul continues on in verse 5 and he says this. There are varieties of service but the same Lord. The same Lord. Right? He has already said there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And now there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And the point is what here? The point is that though different ways are given to serve one another, we should never forget that there was one Lord whom we all serve. Right? The Corinthians wrongly thought that a person was more important if he had a more spectacular gift. But if the point of all the gifts is for all the people in service, then they all are important. Right? Paul will go on to talk about this. The significance of every part of the body. Even, the, even seemingly boring or normal or mundane things. They are important to the body of Christ. Again, at Corinth, some are looking down upon and disparaging others and their service by bragging about another gift, about other gifts. When you realize that some of this boasting had to do with the disruption of the worship of the church, which it did, and they were crediting the Holy Spirit for this, you see how off this really is. And sadly, we see some reflection of this in some of the churches in our day. You don't have to read very far in Corinthians in the letters that Paul writes to this church to see that that culture was obsessed 
with people who claimed to possess remarkable powers. In fact, we see something of this when Paul has to deal with the super apostles, remember, whom the Corinthians were uh, exposed to and dealing with in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But notice in chapter 5, uh, there are varieties of service with the same Lord. We're back to verse 4. There are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit. There are varieties of service but the same Lord. Then in verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Right? And so just as a, uh, uh, another point, if we back out and notice these three verses, this kind of parallel triplet to them all in verses 4 to 6. Right? Again, same Spirit, same Lord, same God. Some of our midweek studies, uh, we have been seeing and discussing the beauty and the fullness of God's Word and all that it lays out for us. And we see as we read the Bible the, that the whole atmosphere and context is, and it assumes, Trinitarian theology. And here is just one of many, many places which does this very thing. Right? Paul uses the word Lord in his writings to refer to Jesus, the word kurios, as you probably all have heard, uh, it is these verses, right? In, in these verses, all three are mentioned, Holy Spirit, Lord, and God. And they are set as what? As equal. It's the same one. And that, of course, is our confession, right? We know this. That they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And notice also in verse 6, who is the active party here? God is the active party. God is empowering. God is working these gifts for that very purpose. For building up. For growing in number. For growing stronger to fight temptation. To show love. To serve one another. And these gifts are given to many different individuals in the body of Christ. But those gifts all come from the one giver of gifts. God Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the plan and purpose for the gifts of the Spirit are the plan and purpose of God, right? Not attention-seeking individuals who disrupt the worship service of the body. And so Paul has taught us about the unity of the body, the diversity of service from the one Lord for the one Lord. And then lastly, notice, we see in verses 7 to 11, God's purpose and use of the gifts. His purpose and use of the gifts. Look at verse 7 there. We see Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right? Why is each given the manifestation of the Spirit? For the individual's good? For the praise of the gifted? For the propping up of some as superior over others? Well, no, no, and no. It's not the case. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The variety of gifts, benefit, profits, the whole church. And for this reason, it has been said that this verse, right, where it says to each is given, it means that all the members of Christ's body are given at least one gift. They're giving something with which to gift to serve the church. And it also means that no single person receives all the gifts. Right? And then it says the manifestation of the Spirit. Again, it means that this is divine action. It's 
God's action. It means that God gives gifts as He wills. Right? God is sovereign. And again, it is for all for God's purposes, not for one's private personal agenda, but for God's agenda. And so we see that self-aggrandizement uh, and boasting does not manifest the gifts of the Spirit in the same way, similarly, as someone speaking in the Spirit cannot say Jesus is accursed. These are contradictory things. And then in verses 8 and following, notice, Paul begins to list some of what these gifts are and what the use of the gifts are for the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of those tongues. And when we read them, we need to recognize that not all of them listed are present in the church today. Right? This is a point of contention for many. And it's not an easy topic to try to uh, map out and to analyze and see what's going on. But it is the case that for at least the past 1,700 years, the church has been considering what this all entails. Right? It's been uh, molded about and analyzed for a long time. And that's because for at least that long, Christians have believed that they ceased to be operative for a long time. So what do we do? What do we do when we think about these things? How these are operative in the church today? Are they? What's the distinction and connection to the apostolic age? Well, there are three primary ways to understand how the gifts are to be used in the church today. Three primary ways. The first option is to assert that all of the gifts are still normative for today. They are still normative or prescriptive or regular for today. And this is what would characterize, for instance, modern-day Pentecostals. Right? Our Pentecostal friends believe that, that all the gifts are still normative for the church today. But how does their understanding of the manifestation of these gifts, which are very sensationalistic, which are really tied to what their worship service looks like, how does that compare to what went on in the New Testament? Right? How do, what does it look like? Do those things line up? I'm going to say that no, it is not very close uh, at all. Um, and so the second option, second option that we see is that the extraordinary gifts ended with the closing of the apostolic age. Right? They just ended for that time. Right? After the apostolic age, the miraculous or the extra extraordinary gifts ceased. But the problem with that is that we don't see Paul, right? We don't see him telling us. He doesn't tell us that the gifts are normative, true. But he also doesn't tell us that they ceased. He doesn't tell us that the miraculous gifts ended. So what do you do with that? And then the third option. The third dominant option is just simply to de-supernaturalize the gifts. Right? To make them unsupernatural, unextraordinary, these miraculous gifts. They're just normal. They're not really supernatural anymore. <clears throat> and this view uh, defines the gifts, right? What they're trying to do with this one is to connect them with the ordinary things that go on in the church today. 
This makes the gifts less supernatural or less miraculous than what we see going on in the New Testament, the apostolic era. And so I would contend that one of the keys to understanding these things is to see, right, we have to uh, take this into consideration, that the Apostle Paul, nor any of the other apostles, ever ordains new apostles. Have you ever noticed that or thought about that? Right? There are no apostles ordained ongoing past the ones that we see in the New Testament, in the New Testament, who we originally have there. Right? No new apostles are anywhere ever ordained. And that's significant. Right? Something we need to consider. And it tells us where we are in redemptive history. Right? Where we are, what age, what epoch. We are not in the apostolic age. It's not the age that we're in. That was the foundational, foundation-laying stage of the church. We are in the superstructure. right? We are building on top of that. We see this transition right there in the New Testament. right? We can learn much of what we have there. Paul never ordains new apostles, but we do see the ordination of, of what? Of pastors and elders and deacons. We do see that. And it's these offices that become normative or regular for the church of Christ ongoing. And we see this right there in Timothy. Paul's letters uh, to Timothy. Um, in 1 Timothy, we see Paul instructing Timothy um, in certain aspects of what he is to do. Paul never tells him to work miracles. He never says, Timothy, go do miraculous healings or go speak in tongues. But he does tell him this. Um, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, and if you want to turn there, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, we see a number of things that Paul tells uh, Timothy to do. And he says this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And he goes on, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come again, devote yourselves to the public reading of the scriptures, to exhortation, to teaching. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, he tells Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. The teaching. And then we go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and we see this. 2 Timothy 1.13 Follow the pattern of, sound, of the sound words that you have heard from me. Right? Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. But by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, he tells Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard it. That which was handed down to you, guard that good deposit. And then 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 3. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me 
in the presence of many witnesses. Let me go back. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right? And so what's he saying here? We take all this together. What is Paul telling Timothy? He's not telling, telling them about these extraordinary, miraculous sign gifts. He's telling them, he speaks of good doctrine, command and teach, be an example, read the word, exhort, teach it, practice. Watch yourself in the teaching. Follow the sound words. Guard the good deposit. And pass it on, right? What did he say? Entrust it to faithful men who can teach others. That's the important thing. The good deposit, the teaching, the word of God. Timothy was given much to do and in uh, much to do and in which to persist in. Those extraordinary gifts were not among the things that Paul passes on and commands Timothy and encourages him to do. And that's because Timothy, like we, are not in that foundation-laying stage of the church. That stage has already been laid. We are living and working on that foundation. If you go to Ephesians, we see this as well, quite definitively. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and following. Paul says this. Starting at verse 19, Ephesians 2. So that he's, he's been talking about uh, in Christ's body, the dividing wall that separated Jew and Gentile has been torn down. There are no longer Jew or Gentile. There is a new people of God, and that is the believers in Jesus Christ. And he says, so... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Then here it is, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right? There's a foundation. It was laying. It was, it was the pause, the apostles and prophets, Christ as the cornerstone. You see it there? Praise God. I think we can dismiss, as we look at these things, as we look at these texts, we can dismiss the first option, option one, that the gifts are just carried over, normative, regular, prescriptive in the church today. Like they were in the apostolic age, we can dismiss that. Again, this is a hard issue. And sadly, it's a very contentious issue. Most who say no to option one, they take options two and three to both have aspects of truth in them. It is clear that the preaching of the gospel in new places was accompanied by signs and wonders. These were confirmatory of the veracity of the gospel. We don't see, however, that the, that the miraculous continued on once the churches were established. And because Paul really hammers the point that the reason for the spiritual gifts is the service of the church, service of others, building up the body of Christ, there is really good reason. There's really good reason to see that these, these gifts as more ordinary actions of and in the church 
related to the service and love of the church. And so now, because there are many, many, many people far beyond my intellectual abilities or my spiritual gifts, and because God has gifted the church with brilliant people who have contributed to the advancement of our understanding of God's Word and insight into His Word, I'm going to quote one of my professors, um, Dr. David Van Drunen, from one of the classes that he taught uh, when I was in seminary. And in seeking to comprehend the gifts of the Spirit and how they function in our age, he said this. He said, if we stress the continuity between our age and the apostolic age, then we must connect the miraculous signs, the miraculous gift signs, to the mission field so as to confirm the gospel and not make them normative in our established churches. And he says, if we stress the discontinuity between our age and the apostolic age, then we must give some justification for certain gifts which were given for the common good not continuing into the post-apostolic age. Right? You see what he's saying there? That the key is to focus on the purposes of the gift, what they served in the apostolic age. And if they're continuous into our age, they're confirmatory on the mission field. They're not the norm for the church. And if the discontinuity, we'll look at that, why are some gifts not continuing? Right? He's saying we need to account and make sense of both of those things. And I think that offers some good framework for working through these issues. And notice also, this list in 1 Corinthians 12 is not exhaustive of all the gifts that the Spirit gives. Right? Our New Testament reading in Romans shows us this. And then Ephesians also tells us later in chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 4, about the gifts that Christ gave to the church and the purposes for those gifts. Right? Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12 tell us this. It says uh, of Christ, right? speaking of Christ giving gifts to the church, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are the gifts that he gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. And for what purpose did he give them? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for building up of the body of Christ. And you may have noticed as we look at these lists, these uh, spiritual giftings, right? From 1 Corinthians 12, from Romans that we looked at, uh, chapter 12, and from Ephesians here. You may have noticed some similarities to Joel that we read, chapter 2. It is there in Joel that the prophecy comes that in the last days, which according to the Apostle John, uh, he tells us this is the last hour. He tells us that when in the last days, that, that what would characterize those last days was what? It would be the work of God's Spirit among His people, being poured out on His people, on all of His people. Not merely a handful of superstars, but all of God's people. Next week we look more, we will look more at these gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 by the Apostle Paul as he unfolds them. But for this morning, notice how the passage ends in verse 11. He closes with how he began regarding unity in the source, but diversity in the gifts. Right? Notice. 
All these are empowered by, the, by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All the variety of gifts originate from the same sovereign Spirit. God is sovereign. His, uh, he gifts every believer. He establishes what it is and what it is for. All because they, right, and because they all come from the one uh, sovereign spirit, their effect should be the same. Building up the body of Christ, the holy temple of God, in the, in the place where, in which the spirit dwells. Our great God and Savior controls all things. The sovereign triune God provides for his people. He cares for us. He orders things for our good. He orders his church in unity and diversity. And I don't think it's just me. Maybe at times you are like me. Maybe sometimes I don't appreciate God's gifting in diversity. Maybe sometimes we're frustrated that things aren't as we would have them to be. Sometimes we distrust God's way and God's wisdom and God's sovereignty. Well, dear Christian, let us go to Him when we are this way, when we're thinking this way, when we're sinning in lack of trust for Him. Let us go to Him and plead with Him to help us and to trust His ways. Plead with Him to give us trust and to believe in His gifting, that He is sovereign and that He is good, and the use of His people for His church in His ways, in the ways that He wills. And let us remember, brothers and sisters, it was Christ's work to do the will of His Father. And His trust and the belief of Jesus and His trust in the Father was impeccable. It was impeccable. Entrust yourselves, dear Christian, to His love and His work. Avail yourselves of the very things that He has given to grow you in trust and in faith in your hearts and those are what they're the means of grace word sacrament and prayer look to the gospel for life for assurance for trust and growth and obedience and as you return to your pilgrim lives this week go knowing that the source of all the grace you need is jesus christ all your needs are satiated Your soul's satiation is in Christ, your Redeemer, our beloved, holy, perfect, and tender Savior. Know, dear Christian, that He loves you, that He died and He rose again for you, and that He, even now and forever, lives to what? To intercede for you. What a glorious comfort and joy we have as His people. Indeed, and amen. Let's pray.